Welcome to Torah Dimecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Danielle Bloom, and today we'll be studying Parsha Speshalach. I would like to begin with an overview of the Parsha, and then explore a topic which lies at the heart of the Exodus narrative. First, the overview. After the Israelites leave Egypt, God directs them on a circuitous route, causing Paro and his army to chase them. The people face the sea before them, and the chariots of Egypt behind them, and they panic. The sea splits, and the Israelites pass through on dry land to safety, while the enemy drowns. At this time, they sing Shirat Hayam, the famous song of the sea, which becomes a part of our daily prayer and accompanies us into our future. In Rabbi Sachs' words, the Israelites have traversed a boundary, one between two domains, between human and divine rule. Once crossed, there is no going back. But the danger has not passed. The Israelites have no water to drink and no food to eat. God provides both water from Iraq and man from heaven. The Parsha concludes with a war against Amalek. The issue that I would like to discuss is the hardening of Paro's heart, which is mentioned 20 times. We tend to think of Paro as the bad guy in the story, the enemy who needs to be destroyed. But if the Torah is spending so much real estate on Paro's mindset, it behooves us to explore it more deeply. What are we to learn from this? With the first five plagues, Paro is recorded as hardening his own heart. The last five plagues, the Torah says that God has hardened his heart. And the Torah uses three different verbs in this context. Chazak, to strengthen. Kuf shin hei, to harden, root word. And kaf bet dalad, to make heavy. The commentators have been concerned with one major issue, and I'd like to add another. Um, they've discussed God hardening Pyro's heart seems to make it unfair for him to get punished. If he had no choice then why should he suffer? How can he be considered guilty for something that he did not choose to do? And as a matter of fact, God predicts Paro's reaction before the process of the plagues even began. In chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, we find out, Va'ani akshet, a slave Paro. God says, I will harden Paro's heart. And then we also hear, V'lo yishma alechem Paro. Paro will not listen. Interestingly, this pairing of hardening of the heart and this phrase of Paro not listening, go together multiple times. Uh, after the event of the swallowing of the staff in chapter 7, we find, We have it again after the blood, after the frogs, after the lice, and then after the sixth plague of boils, we find it for the final time. God hardens his heart and he does not listen. That's the last time, although the Torah will continue to record that God hardens Pyro's heart through the last plague. I'd like to think a little bit more about this as well. Finally, Pyro's mad behavior reaches its apotheosis in our parsha when he decides to chase the Israelites into the sea. We are told twice in chapter 14, God predicts he will, and then he does harden Pyro's heart. And then he finally decides to chase the Jewish people. Rashi tells us that Paro deserved this hardening of the heart because he had the opportunity to repent with the first five plagues. He chose not to. And at that point, he deserved to suffer. I often think if in 1945, would we let Hitler repent for his actions after he murdered so many people? No, he deserves to suffer. Sforno, on the other hand, or 
has an opposite interpretation. He says that God was hardening Pyro's heart to the suffering. He was toughening him up. God would have allowed him to repent fully had he chosen to send the Jewish people out of Egypt because he knew it was the right thing. He would have been permitted to do so. God just did not want him to give in because he couldn't deal with the pain anymore. Ella al-Tzad ha-yoto built bol od at Sarat Hamako. God did not want him to give in because he couldn't bear it anymore. Only if he would give in, to lower himself before God, and repent with a full, complete repentance, God would not have stopped him. Shadal gives a third explanation, which is that any time we have an action that seems like something we cannot explain, we'll always attribute it to God because he is ultimately the first cause of everything. That's God as first cause. And actually, I think we can match each of these three answers with one of those root words that we mentioned in the beginning. Seeing the plagues as a punishment and the hardening as a punishment so, links to the word kufshinhei, of being kashet, difficult. And the verb chet zayin kuf, of strengthening, matches with the sforno who says that God was restoring Paro's free will, toughening him to face the punishment. And the third Kaf Bet Dalit of making heavy supports Shadal in that it is something beyond the realm of human comprehension. Let's focus now on the second half of those verses that connect what we've just discussed with Pyro's not listening. Dr. Aviva Zornberg, in her book on Exodus, has a robust discussion of this topic. She writes the following. We have a lightning sketch of a paro who absorbs the black energy of naysaying into himself so that he has become its very embodiment. Dense, impenetrable, speechless, he betrays no flicker of response. He is impacted in silence. God had foretold that it would be so. Paro will not listen to you. In this reading, this means more than he will not do as you wish. It indicates a growing, willed incapacity to hear and to speak. Paro as impassive, enigmatic, represents a certain Egyptian ideal, the Sphinx, inexpressive, above human discourse. Rabbi Sachs, in his essay on this topic, takes it one step further. He tells us, evil has two faces. The first, turned to the outside world, is what it does to its victim. The second, turned within, is what it does to its perpetrator. Evil traps the evildoer in its mesh. Slowly but surely, he or she loses freedom and becomes not evil's master, but its slave. Paro has left rationality behind. He can no longer hear them. He continues that we have a tendency to think of or free will as an all or nothing phenomenon. Well, we either have it or we don't have it. But actually, that's not the case. This is really based on the way Rambam explains the concept in Hilchot Tshuva Parag Vav. He says, 
we make one choice and then a second choice, which leads us to a, a third, a new place. The choices that we make change us and change the options that are in front of us to the point that they can trap us. We then become objects, not subjects, Rabbi Sachs says, swept along by tides of fashion or the caprice of desire or the passion that becomes an obsession. Paro is every man writ large, the ruler of the ancient world's greatest empire. He ruled everyone except himself. It was not the Hebrews, but he who was the real slave to his obstinate insistence that he, not God, ruled history. And that's why in Perkei Avot, we talk about Ezohu Gibor HaKovesh E'itzro. Truly, someone who is strong is one who can control himself. At the heart of Judaism is faith in freedom, our faith in God's freedom and God's faith in ours. Judaism is, among other things, a sustained tutorial in freedom and the ability to say no, to conquer instinct by conscience, to resist the madness of crowds and their idols. That needs discipline and the ability to stand a little apart from society, even while contributing to it. To be a Jew is to know that though we are here, we are also elsewhere. We live in time, but we are addressed by the voice of one who is beyond time. Para was born free, but became his own slave. Moses was born into a nation of slaves, but led them to freedom. Easily lost, hard to sustain, freedom is our most precious gift, but it must be exercised if it is to be retained. Its greatest discipline is to let God's will challenge ours. That is the path to freedom and the cure for hardness of heart. One last thing. In Parsha Bo, it begins with the command of God to Moshe, of Bo El Paro, which is not really translated as go to Paro. Bo means to come. Bo El Paro. We are each and every one of us invited to enter into that Paro mindset, to explore his irrationality. Last week, one of my students said, when we started learning, I thought we were talking about him. But now I think we're talking about me. When are we unable to hear? What are the choices that we make that seem irrational, that hold us back? Thank you for learning together with the OU Women's Initiative.